This is Comic Shenanigans, episode 516, a conversation with Howard Mackey. Welcome to the Comic Shenanigans podcast. This is episode 516. It's Adam Chapman, your host, and this is our conversation with Howard Mackey, or rather, the second conversation with Howard Mackey. Uh, he's been on the episode once before, just about two years ago, uh, so it was very exciting to finally be able to have a chance to have him back on the show. This time, we've talked pretty exclusively about Spider-Man, um, going through what it was like working uh, on the kind of the Clone Saga days, which we did touch on in the past conversation. This time, we went a little bit more in-depth on the post-Clone Saga storylines, though, uh, both, uh, both uh, pre- reboot and post reboot which is something i've always interested to chat with um because i feel like that's kind of a period that no one really talks about or hasn't been covered that much and he was the principal writer during those that period and there's what two and a half years of the uh the relaunch titles where he was for most of it i guess for the first year and a half he was the only writer of the two spider-man books and then you had um paul jenkins writing um peter parker spider-man for issue 20 onwards and then you had um howard mackie continuing until issue 29 until you had the uh the incoming um uh jms to kind of take over and that was kind of what people know or would talk about but um i found i've always kind of been intrigued by that kind of next chapter era um it has its its ups and it has its downs but it's definitely an interesting um era and i think sometimes it isn't given enough credit um so uh we 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 bring howard back on the show to kind of delve a little bit more into it and kind of talking about the process and what it was like working on the book during those that period as well as working with the artists he worked with and the stories he was doing so um i really enjoyed having this conversation so you can email me at comic shenanigans at gmail.com like the show on facebook rate and review us on itunes and you can also subscribe to us on itunes my voice was a little bit scratchy when we recorded this this was recorded on the 29th of september uh my voice was definitely going in and out that day there's a, an episode that will actually be coming out next week which originally was going to be this week's but uh, a lot of editing has to happen just because my voice was so bad and there was also uh, a freak hailstorm in the background uh which really kind of uh made for an interesting recording experience uh so that'll be our next episode i guess uh, 518 our conversation with al ewing but uh, this week uh, instead we have 516 with howard mackey so without further ado let's jump right into the conversation with howard howard welcome back to the comic shenanigans podcast how you doing I'm doing well. Thanks for having me again. Absolutely. You know, it's been uh, it's been just about two years uh, since we last spoke. Uh, last time you were on the show, I was just checking. Uh, that episode went up uh, in the first week of October. So this will be going out, I think, late October. So it's almost exactly two years. Wow. Time flies when you're getting old. <laughs> well, that leads me to, to my first question. Which is, I know that at the time you had a lot of stuff kind of percolating, and I've keeping track of your Facebook. I know things have started to happen, but can you mm-hmm. let us know some of the most exciting things in the last two years and from your professional life? Well, I do. I have a number of things going on. A few things started to happen and then uh, fell through. I had a uh, um, project going on with an independent company that uh, I was very excited about, and then they they seem to have closed their doors. Uh, but right now I have a number of uh, creator-owned projects that I'm, I'm working on. That I, I, I have this uh, long-time superstition of not talking about things until they actually materialize. But I am doing, I, I am working on a project for Marvel right now, which I am pretty excited about. Oh, and, that's uh, exciting, yeah. Um, hopefully that will be coming out within the next uh, six months or so. Oh, wow. Um, and... Uh, Hoping to be able to use that to to gain some attention from some of the creator-owned projects that I 
I have going on. Absolutely. Well, I, I'm excited to uh, eventually find out what, what that looks like and what that is and to uh, to hopefully then read it relatively soon. <laughs> yeah, well, I hope so, too. <laughs> now, one of the things I really wanted to chat with you about uh, last time, we did a kind of a, a career-spanning arc last time, kind of talking about uh, a lot of the different projects you've worked on, and mm-hmm. Sp- Spider-Man ended up kind of getting a very little piece of, of the pie but it's a, a piece that, for me, is very important because when I first started reading a lot of Spider-Man stuff, you were one of the core writers. Um, so that's so it makes a big difference to me. So I, if you if you would indulge me for a little bit, I I have some questions. Sure. Now, and I, I know I it's been it's been twenty years. So some of this stuff uh, you may have to really reach way back in your in your mind. But uh, any kind of insights are always interesting to me because. Again, I, when I first started reading these comics, I was maybe 13, 14 years old, which maybe makes you feel even older, so I apologize. Um, I don't know. I, I, I was 19 at the time, so but it worked out perfectly. <laughs> exactly. But, so, I, so, I, so I, um, let me, let me, let's, I'm going to start with this. Um, when the Clone Saga ended, you, you, were, you were the guy, first of all, who tied the bow on it. Um, with Spider-Man 75, and then you kind of move forward in this this new era, which is, I think, criminally underserved and under-reprinted, because um, there's a lot of great stuff that happened between the end of, you know, the volume one of Amazing Spider-Man and all those books at that time with Final Chapter and the end of the Clone Saga. So can you kind of walk me through what the vibe was after the Clone Saga ended? Uh, sure. It, it was, and, and you're right. I mean, it was, it was a an odd time in comics. Um, it was, uh, I mean, well, I don't know how, I, forgive me, I, I did not revisit the, uh, the last interview, so I don't remember how much we talked about the That's okay. Item, but as, as we all know, uh, the Chloe saga uh, was, was uh, relatively reviled in, in, uh, in, in the comic book press at least at the time, and um, Marvel, in terms of uh, ownership and the state of publishing at the time, everything was in flux. So, and just as a, a brief recap, the way the Clone even came into being was uh, that we were, you know, the, the comic book industry was going through some really hard times. And the sales were, were dropping across the board. And we were charged in coming up with a big um, Spider-Man story arc that would potentially, um, you know, give a sales boost. And the clone saga is, you know, thanks to Terry Kavanaugh, who suggested it, or as I like to always say, I blame Terry for, <laughs> for the whole thing. If people didn't like it, and if people did like it, it was all my idea. <laughs> um, but uh, we were charged with coming up with story. Terry pitched the clone target to me initially. Um, I, I thought it had legs under it. We, we pitched it at an editorial meeting, a Spider-Man editorial meeting, and it, people were not sure at first. And ultimately, the entire writing staff came on board but the editorial staff was still not sure. Um, you know, there were, there were concerns that it was, you know, um, too much like, like some nighttime soap operas, etc. And 
did get, uh, it got approved, and it was originally created as a um, four-month, I have a notebook from that meeting at one point, I believe it was a, a four-month story arc uh, that was going to take place over, no, you know what, it was a three-month story arc over four books, and we figured that was a year's worth of content. Um, and we would be in, out, and done. We would um, have the new status quo set up, and we'd go forward with the, with the, the stories. And Tom DeFalco, who was editor-in-chief at the time, and Danny Fingerup wanted to make sure we had a back door, which, you know, depending on who you talk to, Carrie uh, didn't want there to be a back door. I knew that it was ridiculous that to think that Marvel wouldn't require a backdoor at the time, but I figured the worst case scenario was we did the three months of the clone saga, and again, the clone story, it was not <laughs> as a saga. Uh, we do three months of the, the clone story arc, we'd have maybe a year of Ben Riley as the the the, the you know loose single and free um, Spider-Man of our our youth, and if that wasn't being accepted by the the fans, uh, we had an out where we could bring Spider-Man Peter Parker back, and it would um, give us yet another sales uh, boost, perhaps. And the problem that happened was twofold. Given the 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 the, um, uh, the the flux of the industry at the time, and where sales were nosediving, etc., the clone story became a victim of its own success. In that, when we started it, sales uh, first leveled out and then started going up, while everything else around it was going down. And what that meant to the, shall I say, geniuses uh, <laughs> who, who worked in marketing and were running uh, Marvel at that time was, well, if a little bit of this story uh, is generating sales, a lot of the story will generate more sales. So you can't end the story in the three months that you are talking about. You must uh, stretch it out. Yeah, you know, to me, uh, and, you know, we, we, we had a three-month <laughs> three story uh, mapped out, and now all of a sudden we were bringing other um, uh, elements into it to, to pad it out. And so the clone story then it became the clone saga because it dragged out because we, we I think we, that's when we were starting to go through bankruptcy. We had management uh, changes right and left. They did the five. Uh, editor-in-chief thing, so every time something like that happens, other people the upper echelon, upper management changed, they all had new opinions, and we spent a lot of time in, in long meetings trying to figure out ways to resolve the clone saga. How do we get out of it? And I, I was on more than one three, four-hour conference calls with editorial and my other writer, the other writers, uh, and it was, it, you know, I always say, you know, I say the the clone saga 
is an example of there's an old expression that a, a camel is a horse designed by committee. And that's what happened to the, the clone saga. It got away from the story that we wanted to tell, and we were constantly trying to juggle other elements. Um, so, <laughs> to answer your question, that was where we were. That was all of the, 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 the machinations that we were dealing with when we finally got to the point where we uh, ended it. And there was still, there was a lot of, um, uh, people, people were feeling burned. I mean, uh, and editorial and in the fan press and, you know, amongst the band. So we were walking a very uh, delicate line um, at, at that point. And I think there was, you know, for me, quite frankly, you know, up, up, you know, like halfway through the Clone Saga and then, then even later on, it, um, when I was the only writer of the Spider-Man book, there was a lot of um, uh, very strong editorial guidance. So there was less of me in those stories and more of, you know, these are the kind of stories that we want you to tell. And that, that, that pretty much starts, that's the beginning of um, something that has engulfed the, the industry since then, especially amongst uh, the big two, with, you know, with uh, work for hire books. It's much more editorially directed than from the creators themselves. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, so get me back on track. Where was I? Well, no, so... <laughs> where, 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 does that answer your question? It, it does. It does, because, I mean, yeah, the question was, you know, what was kind of the, the vibe coming out of the Clone Saga? Yeah. And, you're, you know, you're still writing Spider-Man. You have John Romita Jr. as your artist. Um, yeah. And it's interesting to look at, you know, it was, it was almost a, not quite a year, but I guess it was about a year where you guys didn't really have any real crossovers with any of the other Spider-Man books anymore. You actually got to tell your own stories for a while. Was that a, kind of a nice change from the, as you say, kind of convoluted continuity mess that had become the Clone Saga and coordinating all those four books every month? Absolutely. Uh, I mean, you know, and that that was the 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 problem uh, with it was that we would, you know, and, I, and, 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 and let, let me let me state first and foremost, the guys that I was working with on the the clone saga from early on with Terry Cavanaugh, and then later Tom Zago took over some of Martin Madison and Tom DeSalvo. These are guys who I, I still consider all of them good friends. And uh, I loved collaborating with them. I mean, we, we just had a great time frequently in meetings. We once, and during a clone talk of meeting, uh, once we were at a writer's conference in a, um, uh, a hotel in midtown Manhattan, and we were in a conference room, and we're comic book writers, and sometimes we get loud. <laughs> uh, actually, if you speak to my wife later, Every time I'm not loud, but um, um, we, we we can get passionate about stories. And some, I, there were times I think I was uh, I think uh, was, actually it was during the the death of Aunt May uh, storyline that uh, Mark Mattis had come up with. He and I had talked about it quite a bit on the phone prior to this meeting, and we went to this meeting, and Mark was narrating, and I was acting out. Uh, <laughs> Most most of it, including I think at one point I was uh, laying down at the dead Aunt May, 
but uh, there were times where I was—I had jumped up on a table, and we were, we were getting getting loud, and there was, you know everybody was shouting and all that. And a knock came to the door, and it was from the it was uh, a hotel manager who spoke to Danny Pinkerup, who was the editor at the time, and and Tom, who was the editor in chief, and said, you know, we're getting complaints from the surrounding uh, uh, <laughs> rooms. We really need you guys to keep it down and Tom's credit he said you know we, we paid for this this is who we are and if my guys are passionate everybody by the way this is me doing a, a soft version of a Tom DeFalco voice because uh, <laughs> it was a requirement at the time of uh, anybody who worked at Marvel had to talk like Tom on occasion and he said <laughs> and if my guys are being loud and passionate about what they want to do good for them I suggest you find another room for the That's a, that's a pretty good Tom. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> I mean, there, there, there were times when I was on staff where Mark Greenwald, who was my mentor, he had every one of us, we were at a schedule meeting, go around the table and have to answer all questions, uh, not only doing our, our Tom voices, but our, our uh, using various Tom, uh, <laughs> uh, standard Tom phrases. Uh, <laughs> but, um, we uh, so anyway yes that 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 was how we we approached our writers conferences at that time. Okay. Um. So yeah. So it was so while I I I enjoyed working with the guys. I mean, there was a lot of coordination mm-hmm. as you as you point out, and there were, <laughs> there would be times Terry Kavanaugh and uh, Mark Mattis and I would all joke about it. We would. We'd go to we'd go to have a meeting. We'd map out who was going to handle what, and we you know outline all these plot points and all that. And, then, and it was always and Mattis always had the lead. He was doing spectacular at the time. Mm. We always had the first story, and we'd get the plot and go call him up and Mark. You just covered something that we were supposed to do. <laughs> and he would say, "Oops," <laughs> and so then we would have to figure something else out. But um, and that happened a few times, um, but um, it was a very congenial and a, a great working relationship. So, yeah, but having said that, yeah, getting to just write my own story with JR, and that, so that would have been around the time where I started doing more of the uh, Spider-Man, um, the, the, the uh, Underworld stuff with Jimmy Six and uh, um, those characters, right? Mm-hmm, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So that, that actually brings up a question, though. So 
you know, you, you start developing Spider-Man into more of a, as you said, kind of the, the dark seeming underworld, which really worked well yeah. for, um, J.R. J.R.'s style at the time really meshed well with that, that portrayal. My question is also, was there, cause you mentioned before that, you know, editorial handprints did happen. Um, was there ever a kind of a, a sit down where it was to kind of figure out what the, the different kind of tones and styles of the different spider books were going to be so that each one would kind of have its own kind of, you know, playground so that they wouldn't be kind of walking into each other's kind of shadows all the time? Um, not, not necessarily. I, I don't remember it being a sit-down. I mean, you know, quite frankly, because I was working with JR, um, you know, that's what JR wanted to draw. <laughs> so <laughs> I, I would, you know, that, that, that happened to be, you know, uh, you know, fortunate for me and, you know, and John, I mean, he was a superstar then, as he has remained a, a superstar. So those were the kinds of stories he wanted to do. That's what he was. That's what we were going to get to do. So, um, and I mean, it fit perfectly in my uh, my writing style. The way, the, and I, I forgot that I did this until Tom Lyle mentioned it to me. First thing I would always do when I would start with a new artist, we get on the phone or we have lunch or whatever we meet in person and uh, Tom said the first thing I said to him was okay what kind of things do you, do you like to draw what kind of things don't you like to draw and you know do you have to I, I wanted to know what was going to make them happiest because it is you know I really do believe in the collaborative nature of, of the business and there are some people that don't don't work that way as, as, as much but, you know, that, that, that's the industry I was working in at the time, and it, it, I, I feel like it always benefited the process, my process and the artist's process to approach it that way. Um, and so J, this JR wanted to do, um, uh, you know, he wanted to do the underworld, you know, so we came up with Jimmy Six. To, together he came up with, um, oh, shoot, I all I can remember is the, uh, oh, who was Jimmy Six's dad? Uh, I can't remember. Who knows? Yeah, the one I, uh, a Fortunato. I, yeah. <laughs> and, and so that was, you know, that's, you know, he and I would just get on the phone and just start kicking around ideas. And that's how, how that stuff, uh, came to be. So, uh, but then later on, <laughs> there was a little bit more editorial input in there. That was when we started getting into some, Really uh, weird shit. Uh, which, oh, sorry, uh, <laughs> believe that weird stuff. Uh, <laughs> um, uh, where um, there, 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 and this was even towards the end of the uh, the Clone Saga. There were were things that I there were stories that I had to, that I wrote because I was told to write them, and mm. I was not as big of a fan of them. It's the and again, I, I the, the whole timeline is. You know, I, I don't even remember anymore. But the one story that I do remember, because I I get it at uh, conventions occasionally to uh, to sign, and it always makes me cringe when I do it. It was it was in shoot, I think it was with the female doc, uh, and it was a, a virtual reality Spider-Man, and the cover is him on the he's on the cover with the, like these two. Uzi's in his hands, and it's like, oh, yep. they're this crappy science fiction 
Sure. Uh, but I think that that might have been before the 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 Jimmy Six. I, th- I, I honestly, I I just don't remember the. No, that's okay. It was 20 years ago. I mean, like, I'm, I'm looking at uh, issue 76 of Peter Parker Spider Man, and it's cover dated January 97, so you're forgiven. It's 20 years. <laughs> wow. Now, I want to ask a question. So, you, you introduced new characters and concepts during, again, this kind of this one year period right after the Clone Saga ends. Um, so, just curious about what was, what, because um, I think you're the only one who really used them, but I was like the character. So, you created a character named Shock. Now, um, like, wh- why do you think he like more, more writers didn't use this character? Like, because you used him a bunch of times, um, and it's he's still like in theory is out there. Wh- what was it about that character that you really liked? You know, it was it, again. Probably, he was probably born out of um, uh, a uh, a conversation between Jr. and I, and it it very well may have started with a visual. Uh, I, I happen to like, <laughs> you know, my my favorite character from from the the old days in terms of a costume. Uh, I'm speaking of which is going to be on TV tonight. Was Black Bolt of the Inhumans? Mm. I I like just a black costume, and I remember that was something that Jay and R Jay R and I were uh, uh, playing off of, and you know, it was my. My attempt to do something that was a little bit more science fiction um, oriented, but again, it was going to be coming from a darker um, space, which is again where I feel the most comfortable. Mm-hmm. Um, the problem, as I recall, was that again, people started uh, uh, having opinions, and that's when we started having more of an editorial hand in there, and storylines would get. Uh, derails, and I and my recollection with that is that uh, as much as I liked the character, it things didn't go anywhere because I I suddenly was told I had to do do other things, and um, it's just it's you know quite frankly it's you know I say this twenty years later, but I I do believe this stuff still exists at Marvel uh, and DC now. It's not the way to create comic books. You're, you know, telling um, writers what to write is never going to um, have, uh, the result is never going to be the best material, in my opinion, um, because you just have too many people involved um, in, in the creative, creative process, and it becomes the opposite of that, the opposite of creative. Mm-hmm. One thing I really liked about your your run, especially again in this kind of period we're talking about, is um, you you really developed the character of Paul Stacy, uh, Gwen's mm-hmm. cousin, and I always liked the character. I mean, he's a bit of a dick, but I mean, he was an interesting character to read about. And again, it's one of those characters that I mean, I think it it comes off that you had a fair affinity for him, at least the way he's written. Mm-hmm. And I just I miss that character because he added a different dimension. And again, he kind of needed someone to kind of um, fit. He was kind of like 
Flash Thompson, but for now. Like, you know, someone who didn't really like Peter half the time, but was kind of a friend, but kind of a dick. Whereas at that point, Flash Thompson had moved into pure friend territory. Um, so he was more of an antagonist, and I always liked that character. Thank you. That was the intent. We, what we were, were trying to do was um, look at what made Spider-Man work for us uh, back in the day. And, you know, as much as, you know, it, 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 it was Spider-Man, half the book was usually devoted to um, his, his interaction with the supporting cast, whether it be Aunt May or Flash Thompson or Betty Grant or uh, Glory Grant or, you know, or Mary Jane <laughs> or, or, or Gwen Stacy or Captain, you know, that, that, was, that was what made Spider-Man work for me as, as a kid, strictly you know, from a pure storytelling point of view, it was, a, it was, you know, all of these characters with Spider-Man, and, you know, I've always, I've always said that I thought, uh, oh, tough, that the, the biggest supporting cast member of uh, the Spider-Man books in, back in the day, and hopefully later on, was New York City. Um, and, and so we were trying to, because I hear that so many of these characters had grown up as, Spider-Man had and had gone off and had, you know, come alive. So rather than just regressing them, it was our attempt to um, to to bring in new characters that would be a supporting cast. So I I, I appreciate that you <laughs> you 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 actually saw what we were going for. <laughs> so thank you. <laughs> I, I mean, I, it's not just Paul, right? I mean, you brought in Paul, Jill Stacy, or, um, Arthur Stacy. And again, I was at this point where I started collecting Spider-Man on a regular basis, literally the minute the Clone Saga ended. Like, I went back and read it and really enjoyed it. But, um, when I actually started kind of reading, uh, forwards, it was the minute the Clone Saga ended and your book and Tom DeFalco's book were the books I was reading. So your Spider-Man was my Spider-Man. So, um, these characters that you populated his world with, they meant a lot to me because for the first couple of years, that's who I knew. That was the supporting cast I knew. So I, I, I missed that they're not around because you guys went to a lot of, uh, effort to develop them into full characters. And then unfortunately, I guess when you left the book, they just kind of vanished. You know, the next writers didn't have any interest. So, you know, it's what, it's what happens. I mean, I've certainly done that, um, you know, my my fair share of uh, taking over books. And, um, you know, sometimes people create characters that they have a real affinity uh, for, but uh, then, you know, that you, you do not. <laughs> so... <laughs> You don't pick them up, and also, you know, I, 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 you sometimes there's a whole. For me, there was a whole ethical thing at times where I would create character, or one would create characters who were based on people, perhaps that you've known in in your your real life, and uh, one of the tricks that. Um, Mark Grunel taught me early on was never, never give a character a direct um, name and look of somebody you know and you love because somebody's going to come along and either turn them into a villain or, or, or kill them. <laughs> so, <laughs> so 
one of the things I would do is I would mix up names of of friends and relatives. <laughs> you know, so the 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 uh, uh, first name was different than uh, the last name, and I, I would <laughs> interact. Uh, or you know that way, and you know and that happened with um, actually Seward Trainer uh, was based on my uh, father-in-law, and unfortunately he was supposed to started out he was supposed to be a good guy, and then later on uh, he was <laughs> turned turned wasn't he turned into uh, a, a bad guy behind <laughs> behind a bunch of stuff, mm-hmm. <laughs> so. Um, uh, you know, it, so in answer to your question, it just happens. I mean, that's, you know, people, you know, so many people are look, looking to either bring their own characters into a storyline or everybody wants to write um, the old characters because they know they will, will be able to do, you know. As I always say, I, I never wanted to do the, the best vulture story. Okay, because, or, or the best uh, Doc Ock story, because it, to my mind, those had already been done. You know, I, I grew up reading <laughs> those, those stories, so I was more interested in, in bringing my own characters forward to see if I could, you know, do my own best story of a new character. Mm. So, you know, like, but like I said, people, you know, it, it, it all... It, all depends on who, who the next writer is. Yeah. Now, as this this kind of this period again, post uh, sorry, pre relaunch was going on, so you had this kind of year where you were allowed to kind of do your own stories again, and then we move mm-hmm. into kind of crossover territory. Um, one of which was, you know, uh, you had Spider Man taking on a new identity for two months. Um, mm-hmm. So, what was that kind of like in terms of? I mean, everyone had very different versions of characters or different types of heroes that they had Spider-Man pretending to be. How did you kind of settle on using Dusk? And was that just kind of playing into J.R.'s strengths? Or was there something that you were trying to tell deeper? I mean, because I think your stories were probably the best of the Identity Crisis versions just because you really explored some kind of darker parts of Peter that we didn't usually get to see and him having Mm -hmm. to answer questions about himself. And that, that, that was what, what we did. It, this was the identity crisis storyline, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Um, and what we, we, what we were trying to do was, you know, I think that was where we, uh, we set up. Uh, uh, it was, the setup was uh, Spider-Man was a wanted man because uh, uh, Joey Z, right? Wasn't that his name? Uh, That's the guy you Joey killed. What's that? I said that's the guy you killed. Yes, it is, and which I I I loved. I, I happen to have loved him, and you know, and, and saw him populating a whole variety of uh, stories in the universe. <laughs> and then, uh, yes, and the Traster uh, set um, uh, Spider-Man up, so Spider-Man was once again wanted, which we wanted to get back to that aspect of you know the original. Spider-Man story was people didn't know was he good was he bad a hero villain and so we knew Peter couldn't just go and be Peter you know he was always going you know with great power comes great responsibility so he was going to have to do the right thing if the situation arose and our intent was to look at over the the years of Spider-Man story 
all of the different aspects of um, of Spider-Man and his personality, and we kind of we all leaned towards what we felt most comfortable with. And again, <laughs> there's a theme here. I tend to, and especially working with Jr., uh, lean towards the the darker stories, and that was how. And you know, and Dusk, I thought was. Yeah, you know, an interesting name. It's both him being potentially in the twilight of, of his career, uh, etc. And then, you know, again, Jr. came up with the, <laughs> the the cool all black costume. And um, um, you know, so yeah, I wanted I wanted to take that time to get him to to look <laughs> at you know. The, the, the darker angels that were sitting on his, his shoulders at times. That, you know, because he, he, you know, I mean, Peter Parker and Spider-Man, and especially coming out, you know, through the clone time, he had been through some serious shit. <laughs> so, uh, um, again, I get you dropping that, that word. I apologize if... <laughs> That's okay. Yeah. <laughs> um, so that that was the intent of that for us all to you know while it was a a crossover of of sorts we all got to explore the character in our own ways. For sure. Now, um, moving on from that point, when we get into the kind of the final chapter era, um, what was it like? Um, what was the what was the meeting like to kind of to say we're going to take these four books, we're going to end two of them, and we're going to and well end all of them actually, and then relaunch two of them, and then you're going to be this whole writer. What was that like? How did that kind of come about, or how did everyone kind of take that? Well, well part of it was behind the scenes. <laughs> yeah, because I you know would not have been privy to the decisions that were made in terms of my being the uh, sole writer. Uh, I was. I was surprised, pleasantly surprised um, by it because, um, uh, I mean, even at the time, you know, uh, Bob Harris, who was editor-in-chief at that time, was telling Ralph Macchio that, you know, you know, you don't have to, full disclosure, Bob and I started out as assistant editors together at Marvel, mm-hmm. and uh, he was my best friend. And he he was best man at my wedding, my daughter's uh, godfather. And I always say, people would uh, occasionally say, oh, yeah, yeah, Bob Harris only hiring his his friends. I I will tell you, I got work at Marvel during that period, despite my friendship with Bob, because he was so concerned of any sense of impropriety or, or, you know, verging on nepotism that, you know, when Ralph had decided that I would be the the sole writer, um, he had went into Ralph to try and talk him out of it. Oh, really? Uh, you, know, that, you know, it doesn't have to be Howard, and Ralph kept saying, but I, I actually want to work with Howard. <laughs> he said, yeah, 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 but you don't, you don't need to. <laughs> he said, no, Bob, I know I don't need to. <laughs> I'm telling you what I want and what I think will be best for, for the book. So that is, and we, we had decided that, you know, given the, the state of the industry at the time, that potentially um, we were eating into our own sales. So it was definitely an experiment to say, rather than doing more of the same, which, you know, there are times where, you know, it, you know a character has been around for, you know, at that time, you know, what, uh, 
This is probably along the same lines then, but, um, I mean, she, I mean, when you guys are working on gathering a five in the final chapter and kind of bringing everything to a close, um, what was your reaction or was it your idea or how did you take it when you knew that Aunt May was going to come back and knowing how great that, that uh, JMD story was where she passed away? Well, I, I had very... I, I, I was very torn. I mean, not, not only Aunt May, but, you know, um, uh, bringing Norman back. Mm. Um, uh, I, I was, was torn on both, because as I said to you earlier, I was, I was uh, heavily involved in the, the Aunt May death story with, with, with Mark. Um, and this was an editorial directive to start trying to bring back, you know, and I, you know, and quite frankly, I understand it uh, to a certain extent. It was that once we killed Aunt May, as good as the story was, it lost an anchor point. Uh, It took away an anchor point for uh, the character. And it's all well and good to think that, well, then we'll, we'll create another anchor point, but it didn't seem to be accepted and by, by, by the fans or the press and it was decided that we needed to bring them back. And, you know, the same way, I'll tell you honestly, with Norman bringing him back, that was also an editorial directive from, um, from the editor-in-chief at the time, Bob Harris and Ralph Macchio. And I fought against it. I, I was completely opposed because I felt like uh, Norman Osborne, the Green Goblin's death early on in the history of Spider-Man was one of, again, one of the more um, important deaths. And aside from Bucky, it was one of the few that had remained in place. And, of course, they brought Bucky back <laughs> since then. But I really, I really was resistant to bringing Norman back. I have to say, though, going forward, once I started getting to write Norman and get inside his head, I, I was thrilled at the decision. It was not my decision, but I, I was really grateful uh, for the opportunity to, um, to, to write that character and explore the relationship between um, Peter and Norman as well as you know, Spider-Man and the Green Goblin. Mm-hmm. Now, when uh, when the relaunch era happens, so you're working with two Johns. You got John Byrne and John Romita, mm-hmm. yep. uh, which is kind of an embarrassment of riches. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, I, I, look, you, you go through my career and you look at the the artists that I've been very fortunate to to work with in my career, and it is all about embarrassment of riches. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
in that first year, so you're you're a soul writer now. You're you're writing both books. Um, you're able to kind of have stories weave in and out if you want, but you don't have to. Um, you're the soul guy, which is you know obviously you were in a scenario, but unfortunately, kind of a machine. So now you are the machine. Um, at what point, like? How does the death of Mary Jane kind of come in? Like, how does that decision get made? Because some good stories came out of it. The idea of, of grief, of Peter having to try to come to terms with it. But how did, where did that concept come from? Well, again, you know, now we're talking about, you know, going back to your original question. We're coming off the Clone Saga and we're coming down, you know, even the, the, the upheaval in editorial had started settling down a little bit, but it was now firmly established that um, editorial was going to be taking a stronger hand in, in things. And, and then you combine that with that, yes, I was working with two unbelievably talented artists, but they also had strong voices as well. And I felt like at that time, you know, I was walking um, a real uh, uh, tightrope you know, trying to balance what was going to work. <laughs> and it was, it was a, kind of a, a, a tightrope that went in three different directions at times. Because <laughs> I, I had to balance between what was going to, you know, the editorial direction that we were being given, the things that the artists really wanted to, to be working on, and what was going to be best for the character in the books. And, you know, which really should be at the, the forefront of that list. Um, and, but, but it was really, it was a, a, a very tough um, balancing act um, because all those three um, uh, did not always coincide or, 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 or work well, play well together. Um, so the death of... Mary Jane was again we were talking about you know because at that point she was pregnant right? remind me <laughs> this is later she she had the, the pregnancy had you know um, she had the stillborn baby and then you had the, the you know year and a half of stories they were all done um, so she was in a good place. She was, I think, went back to school and then, um, she went back to modeling when the relaunch happened and then she started having a stalker threats and then that kind of led into her supposed death. That's right. Yeah. And, you know, and it was that, um, the, the, the theory at the time was that it was getting back into the uncomfortable position of, um, Peter being, you know, with a supermodel. Um, just was, you know, it took away a, sorry, hold on a second, I just lost my, sorry about that, I lost my headphone. Um, it took, took away the regular guy aspect of the character, which is what, um, he always was. And, it, you know, and that, that was all. That was always what we were trying to get back to. I mean, that was the point of the Clone Saga, and it was the point of almost everything that happened afterwards. We were always trying to recapture that that innocence of, you know, of being a regular guy with great powers and great responsibility. And you know what? And it's tough to do when a character is 40 or 50 years old. And so... 
So what you're always doing is trying to say, okay, which is the thing that, um, oh, so if it's his elderly aunt, she has to go, she has to come back. No, so no, no, it's the being married to a supermodel. <laughs> she has to go, then she's going to come back. And then she's going to go, oh, no, wait, Mephisto's going to just annul the wedding. Uh, <laughs> you know, um, it's, it is, it's, it's, it's part and parcel of having to deal with an iconic character who has been around for a long time and trying to figure out how to con- continually, on a monthly basis, uh, breathe new life into them. Oh, does that sure. answer the question? I think it does, yeah. I mean... It's it's an interesting period because I think everyone obviously knew that she'd come back someday, um, yep. but you definitely had some real exploration of grief, which I did appreciate. I mean, there's an issue where he ends up fighting the Hulk, and at some point he's just kind of unloading on the Hulk, and the Hulk's like, you know, your wife died, mine mine died too, and they have mm-hmm. this kind of this quiet moment, and I'm like, that's actually like that really. That hit home. That felt like a real earned moment that these two characters, one of them just needs to, you know, get rid of this frustration and this, this grief that he can't process. And the only person mm-hmm. who can really take it is the Hulk. Um, and then they actually kind of understand each other and they're actually on the same wavelength. It's actually kind of a profound moment. Well, well thank you. Because, yes, on, on all accounts, you, you are correct to the, the, uh, the train of thought. Because I did want, I felt like he needed to have that. Uh, catharsis to really, in a way that we rarely, if ever, get to see, have him just cut loose. And, you know, the Hulk is, as you say, obviously the one that would be able to to take the physical aspect of it, but then there was the emotional uh, connection as well, which is, you know, I mean, just... The icing, uh, more than the icing on the cake. I mean, it was, it was, it, it made it a character-driven story rather than a, a just a big knockdown, drag-out uh, mm. story. No, which is, you know, ideally the goal in these things. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, I, this is kind of an interesting question too. When when you killed off MJ. Um, at, we talked before about when the clone saga was first approached. You guys, you know. May, may or may not have, but everyone kind of had in their mind that there was a backdoor. So did you already, did you know exactly what the backdoor was going to be for when you brought back Mary Jane, or was that kind of uh, more of a, a little bit looser, and then you eventually had to kind of tighten that idea? Yeah, it, 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 was, it was definitely looser. I mean, we, I knew it was there because of the artwork. <laughs> yeah. Um, I wasn't quite sure where we would, would go with it, because I, I wasn't sure I would still be be writing it. Do you know what I mean? I mean, so I knew that I was creating the backdoor uh, that people, whether it be me or another writer, would be able to to take advantage of. And that, that was my, uh, my goal, uh, was just to make sure that that backdoor was there. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and then, you know, and that, yeah, quite frankly, that just happens at times. You, you know, uh, I, I don't remember which period I wrote. I wrote a, an issue of uh, Spider-Man which, um, that involved Spider-Man. Uh, no, I'm sorry. I wrote an issue of Spider-Man that involved Ghost Rider. Yeah, I remember that. Uh, it was after the Ghost Rider series had ended. And I, I had been off of the book for about a year or so. And 
um, the book was canceled, and Ralph Macchio came to me and said, how, you know, Ghost Rider's been canceled. I had not read any of the, I have a, a philosophy of not continuing to read books once I'm off of them. And um, uh, he said, um, Ghost Rider's been canceled. They want to, you know, have the character in a place where he could come back. Um, in, in the future. So would you bring it, do a story to to just do that? We want him to have a, a clean slate, not be tied down to what happened at the end of the series. And I just had to get, you know, they gave me just a few lines of what happened. I can actually read the, the last issue and I wrote a story and you basically put, put the lie to uh, how the Ghost Rider series ended with no ill intent <laughs> at all, but I, I believe the, the writer of, of that book thought I was uh, uh, taking a slam at him and what he had done with my character. It wasn't my character. Uh, you know, I just, I was, I was basically, you know, just, you know, following the request of editorial and getting to, to write uh, Ghost Rider's story uh, at the same time, which I had no, no problem doing. Mm. So, and like I said, sometimes that, you know, that, that is just part of, um, of the business, you know, you know, the, and, you know, so I knew when we were doing the death of Mary Jane that, you know, very unlikely she was going to stay dead. <laughs> so, <laughs> and I was told we, we need to make sure that it, there is something in the choreography of that storytelling that it makes it so that, um, another writer can come along and uh, bring her back. And that's what we did. Yeah, no, so I have two last questions before and I know we have to, to wrap up. Um, the first is, so when you do bring her back, so you have the actual arc where it happens and then you have uh, an annual, which kind of is the last issue that you wrote on Spider-Man during that era um, before JMS came on. And you, you, I guess, get the unenviable task of separating Peter and MJ going forward. And uh, now again, when I first read this, I was probably 17, 18 years old. And um, I, I reread it recently, and I still think it works. I, th I mean, I know people love the relationship between Peter and MJ, and I would never say that that's not an important part of the character at times, but the way in which you used her basically post-traumatic um, post stress from her being abducted, from everything she'd been through, and the idea that, you know, he's going to do the right thing, and she knows that, and he knows she knows he has to be Spider-Man, but she just, she can't put herself in a situation where she's watching him swing off anymore because of what she's been through. So it's not just her being a nag, it's not just her being, like, you know, any of the ways that contrived to write her in the past, but it was actually coming out of a very real place of, I've been through a traumatic experience, and this is not healthy for me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, what, what I was hoping to do was, again, you know, we, we talked about this earlier, is, you know, um, uh, explore grief and explore, um, you know, treat these... Uh, it's very hard at times to... to to treat these characters that have been around for so long, and it's had this is not just about you know the, ca the, the the characters, but treat them as people, and you know, it, and, and, and it's a it's a balancing act again. It's about you know you're trying to make them real world and you know fully developed characters, but sometimes you get involved in the you know just the the super heroic super villains 
her stories aspect of it. And this was an attempt to say, if these are real people in a real situation, how would they they react? And, and you know, and that, that's what I was trying to to explore, knowing I mean, I, you know, knowing where we were going to have it go. Mm-hmm. Um, um, you know, the, these would be the reasons that would make sense for any real person. <laughs> you know, how how do you live with that on a daily basis? I mean, it's like you know, the 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 life of a a, a police officer or. You know, uh, you know, uh, an army officer, a Navy SEAL, or you know, the, the special force team, where every day they have to watch this person walk out the door, or in this, you know, situation, swing out the window, and realize this could be the day that you know, Doc Ock finally takes him out, or you know, or you know, he misses a ledge and falls uh, <laughs> to his death, or something like that. And you know, how do you live with that, especially when? You're also dealing with the grief that you have been both going through. So it seems like you know that that would be the the the, the real life scenario. So thank you. Well, and I think it, it, as I said, it was an unenviable task to be the one to kind of do that. But I think mm-hmm. what also worked for me at the end of it is that you did it in a way where both characters were mature enough to understand why it was happening and weren't angry. And they, when they kind of separate at the end of that issue, they do so on good terms and on loving terms. Um, that they're not angry at each other. They both get it, but they can't change the way the other person is. So this is just the way it is for now. And obviously future writers would change it, but um, I always thought that really rang true to a real emotional place. Well, thank you. Because, you know, I mean, I I have... um um, known and seeing people go through splits, divorces, or, or whatever, where they were able to be reasonable with each other and realize that they have been connected uh, and part of each other's lives for so long that um, they couldn't live together. But that didn't mean they were not going to you know, they were either not going to be friends or that they had to end on just horrific terms. And so I, I do know it it can happen. I've not experienced it myself. Um, so, you know, that was a little, uh, another aspect of what I was trying to bring to that story. My last question, it's a little bit different. Um, uh, during um, the relaunch era, when you, I think you had an issue or two with Eric Larson, and you use Venom, and there's... I. I've always liked that what you, you added a dimension which maybe you forget you even added, but um, there's a moment where I, I actually don't even remember working with Eric. <laughs> okay, well there you go. So yeah, there's a, there's go a, tell me what I did. <laughs> it, it was a good thing. Um, oh, good. Th- there's a moment where Eddie Brock is basically trying to get to his ex-wife, and Peter Parker ends up seeing Venom, so he fights him. And he's like, I, I don't want to mess with you. I, I have to go. And he goes and he finds his wife, and she's dead. She jumped out the window. And she jumped out the window because of him, but he doesn't realize that. He thinks that if he had been there, she wouldn't have died. And so he has a new reason to hate Peter, which is, it feels like a lot more of a, a real reason to actually hate Peter than the one that's 
kind of been manufactured in, in the past. Like we have a classic origin for Venom, but this felt a lot more visceral, a lot more, um, you know, a real reason to really want to hurt this guy. And I actually really appreciated that. I don't think, I, unfortunately, anyone's ever referenced it, but um, I always thought it was a really strong way of, of giving him real motivation to really hate Peter. Well, well, thank you. Because, yeah, I mean, you know, and that's what it, it, it should always be about. It, you know, that, that, that you know, speaks to, you know, quite frankly, it's just the flip side of what we spoke about between the separation between he and Mary Jane. Is that you've got to look at um, character motivation from a, you know, a, a, a real-world point of view. And, yeah, I mean, you know, the, if, if you blame somebody for the death of your spouse, whether you're blaming them, uh, falsely or not, and it, you know, it is transference, because it's easier to blame somebody else than it is to take responsibility for such a horrific um, uh, event um, and take it upon yourself. That, to me, you know, seems like exactly something that, you know, Eddie Brock would have to do to survive as best he can. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, in his, his, you know, incredibly shattered uh, state. So oh. <laughs> Absolutely. And yeah, as I said, it really worked for me. And I, I've always appreciated and liked it again, that it gave a little bit more dimension to their relationship and that Peter didn't even realize exactly what had he even done or that, um, that mm-hmm. Venom was holding him accountable for this. And again, the reader knows that the real tragedy is that it's not actually Peter's fault. Like this woman was terrified of the symbiote and of, of Eddie, but he just thought, uh, before you know, before I lost my job, I used to have a wife. I used to have a life. I want that back. Yeah. And then when that's stripped away, even though it's actually his own fault, um, yeah, he, of course he has to find someone to blame so that he can keep moving forward. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, well, well thanks. <laughs> I, I always like when uh, people remember more about my, <laughs> my stories than I do, which is more, more often uh, the case than not. I mean, keep, keep in mind I've, I've written a few. Uh, only a few, right? Yeah. Yes. <laughs> well, Howard, thank you so much for spending your time with us. I'm hoping maybe in two years we can have you back. We'll talk about X Factor Mutant X. That, that, that sounds great. I, I, maybe, maybe what I'll do then is I'll actually reread some of the stories. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, I'm just happy to talk to you at all. <laughs> well, well, thanks, Adam. I appreciate it. I appreciate us keeping to the schedule. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much, and we'll we'll get back together in two years. <laughs> okay. Take care. Take care.